We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Saturday, and y'all know what that means. It is the RTCF show, but we're going to kind of take a little bit of that off. We're going to cut the R off today because we are talking all team. That is Sean Davis, recruiting analyst at Irish Breakdown. I'm Brian Driscoll, your publisher. And, Sean, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk a lot about the Notre defense from several different angles. You know, So we're going to kind of break it up into different segments, but we're going to talk a lot about the defense today. And then at the end, we're going to make our ACC predictions. And there is a lot of discussion that can be had about who is going to finish where in the ACC. So it is going to be a very interesting conversation. Very interesting year. A lot of bad teams at the bottom. A couple good teams at the top. And then a lot of teams with uncertainty. New coaches. Big-time losses personnel-wise. How are they all going to finish this year? Schedules are really fascinating. So we're going to have a lot of fun talking about that. But first, Sean, I'm going to talk about the Notre Dame defense. And obviously, you know, 54 and 10 in the last five years, right? I mean, yeah. and with the exception of 2017, where the defense was good, but it was kind of still bouncing back from what it had been under the previous defensive court, you know, under Brian Van Gorder. But, you know, Mike Elko in that first year made a big jump forward, but they weren't necessarily winning because of their defense that year. They were winning because of the defense of the offensive line and the run game. But from 18 on, this team has gone, what is it, 44 and I think seven. And it's been primarily on the backs of the Notre Dame defense. And so you had a really interesting thought uh, and topic that you wanted to bring up today based on something that you heard Colin Cowherd say recently about, yeah. you know, kind of looking at the NFL. You're, you're, you're a Bears fan, correct, Sean? I, I, I live I, in Chicago. Okay. Just, I'm not, I'm not a Bears fan, but I live in okay. Chicago. Okay, just wasn't sure. But there's a lot of conversation in Chicago about Roquan Smith, who Notre Dame fans know very well. Watched him in 2017 in Notre Dame Stadium. Phenomenal linebacker and whether or not the Bears should trade him. And that led to a conversation about the Notre Dame defense, Sean. So I want you to kind of set the premise of the conversation and then sort of state your case. And we're going to have some fun talking about just about it because it involves like kind of the direction of the Notre Dame program moving forward. So, yeah, so let it rip. I thought, I thought what he said was so interesting. And, you know, like I said, I live in Chicago. I'm not necessarily a, no, uh, 
Well, I'm a Notre Dame fan, but not a Bears fan. But I do re- root for the Bears. I do do that. So uh, Colin Cowherd was talking about uh, the statement that he made that stood out to me is, in life, we acquire the things that we love. Like whatever you love, you acquire those things. Whether it's a natural life, it could be art, it could be sneakers. It's like whatever we love, we we go ahead and acquire. And so he brought that over to football and he mentioned the Chicago Bears. And he said the Chicago Bears love defense. And they make sure that they acquire or find a way to always acquire defensive players to always make their defense good. As bad as they were last year as a team, they had a top 10 defense, as bad as they were. So that tradition continued. And so I started to think about that. And I said, wow, well, that translates to a lot of other people. As we talked before, he mentioned the Los Angeles Rams. And, you know, I felt like that that connected with me because they had had Aaron Donald and those great defensive players for years and could never get over the hump in the playoffs. What did they do? They go out and they get a quarterback, a much maligned quarterback, but really hadn't been surrounded by a full team. So he didn't have an opportunity to win. Now they bring him to a situation where better coaching, uh, more solidified situation where coaches aren't coming in and out and weapons around him at the wide receiver position and a running game with a great offensive line. And the next thing you know, you start to see what he can really do when surrounded. And so it made me think about Notre Dame because, and I'll give you this, and I didn't know this until I researched this. Brian Kelly was at Cincinnati from 2006 to 2009. Am I correct? He was there seven, eight, nine, three years. Okay, three he years. Was at, he was at West Central Michigan, 04, 05, 06, Cincinnati, uh-huh. seven, eight, nine, and then now came the, in 2010. The interesting thing is, do you know the, two, the last season there was the only season his offense averaged over 30 points? Yep. Yeah, 2008, they – Remember, they went to the Orange Bowl that year, and they had yeah. great special teams and a great defense in yeah. 2008. Yeah. Yeah. So, But coming into Notre Dame, he was thought of as this great offensive right. mind. And that was right. kind of what the fan base expected. Like, okay, he's sure. about to take Notre Dame into this new era right. of offense. Because of not just 09 Cincinnati, but also they were like 50 points State. per game at Grand Valley. And then in 2008, yeah. the caveat is – they played like five quarterbacks that year because of injuries. Yeah. And so yeah. people excuse the fact that they weren't great on defense because they were or offense. They were pretty good in offense in 07 when they had Ben Mock. So, uh, but to your point, they were never like a dominant offense until that last year at Cincinnati. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talked about it a little bit last week. Like Notre Dame, they are what they are. They're, they're a mid 30 points per game team that's that's who they've been right and we talked about to take the next step you have to get closer to 40 mm-hmm. in order to really be championship contention so the question i pose to you and i will pose to everybody in ib nation today has notre dame fallen in love with defense we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Now, are you, and, when and you say that, are you so, saying too much? No, 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 or no. Or just no, in general? No, no. Okay. Have they fallen in love with defense to the point where I, too much can be subjective the way you look at it? But, you know, in bringing over the conversation, I don't think the Bears ignored certain things that they needed. I just don't think they were – they are fully invested on – one side of the ball the way they are on the other side of the ball. And I think at some point there has to be, even if it's not 50-50 investment on both sides of the ball, there has to be somewhere close. It has to be 55-45. You know, if you're not going to go all in, at least go get the quarterback and receivers. Or there has to be some offensive dynamic to say, okay, we're, we're really invested in taking the next step offensively. So I think that is the question. Have you felt like, as a fan base, and have you felt like, Brian, that Notre Dame, and it's different than the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. We were talking about recruiting versus sure. being able to go out. Managing draft, salary cap. And right. salary cap and acquire via right. free agency. is totally different. Right. Apple's like you can't do in the NFL what Georgia has done on is defense, that, right, with that. Alabama. You can't have that many great players on one side of the ball. Exactly. In the NFL. Correct. Exactly. Correct. So, and with that being said, we know what – we know the position rooms that need to be upgraded mm-hmm. and really haven't – well, uh, honestly, offensively, I'll let you get into that because mm-hmm. I can probably point out two positions that I feel like need to become more consistent moving forward to feel like, okay, Notre Dame now coaching staff program is really 
going after it mm-hmm. on that side of the ball. We've also talked about this. I think any coach with a grain of salt wants to run the ball or sees the value in running the ball. I'm not about to sit here and say there's a certain amount of carries you have to have to be, you know, a championship team. Right. But I think at heart, let's take Nick Saban, who has made a transition from when he first arrived at Alabama to where his offenses are now. I think he's come to the place where he saw the evolution of college football and said to himself, okay, not only do I need to go out and get the players, but I need to get the minds that know how to go ahead and execute what needs to be done with these players. And, you know, Lane Kiffin, Sarkeesian, others. Think think about that. He went from Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer. Yeah to Kiffin, Sark, yeah. and Bill O'Brien. And now I think yeah. Bill O'Brien's an overrated offensive mind, but he's still a really good offensive mind. Right. Right? Like, I just don't put him in the same category as, like, Sark. And step down from the previous two, you would probably say. But still a step up from the previous. I mean, Jim McElwain was the perfect offensive coordinator for what they were trying to do as a program. At to that your point, point. Absolutely. Correct, to your point. Absolutely. Power football. Yeah. Right. Loxley was, like, one year. Yeah, and he yeah. Well, after was it after Lane? He was between Lane and Sark. And Sark, I think. Yeah. 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 So that that's the question. Like, do you feel like you've seen the full investment offensively? Because Notre Dame, if you ask mo- yeah. most people, and I think recruits, recruits, CJ Williams pointed this out. When you think Notre Dame, you think running backs, offensive line, and defense. So for me, it's like, man, is that the perception? And it, it has Notre Dame really depended more on their defense mm-hmm. in the last 10 years yep. or during the Kelly era than going out and saying, okay, now that we've solidified this defense, let's go out and start adding yeah. some explosive guys, you know, on the offensive end. I just thought it was a very interesting question that maybe we could bring to the college yeah. ranks despite the difference. Yeah. And why? Why was it that way? And will Marcus yeah. Freeman continue that or yeah. not continue it like he's trying to get team what Brian Kelly did, but you know, him yeah. being a defensive coach, because that's the danger for me. Right. That's my only hesitation with Marcus Freeman, honestly. Like I have no problem with him being an in-game coach because we just saw a guy that's a mediocre in-game coach just won a national championship. Right. But right. what is Kirby great at? Preparation Monday to Friday. I, I've I've said this a million times. Being a great game day coach is important to a degree. But Monday to Friday preparation is way more important, way more important. Like Nick Saban is a master of both. I mean, just go look at the 2015 title game, the decision to go for the onside kick, just some of the, the things that they did in that game. Not perfect, but but just really, really good at it. Kirby's just an okay game day coach. Now, you can't be a bad game day coach like no. James Franklin. And I think at times Brian Kelly, especially early in his career, was a bad game day coach. But I think it's about the preparation Monday to Friday. So let's trace it back, Sean, because obviously, you know, when Brian Kelly came to Notre Dame, he was he was viewed as this offensive guru, right? But he was replacing a guy that was viewed as an offensive guru. And I think the first couple of years, Brian Kelly tried to bring a, you know, sort of a big play mentality to the offense, you know, Dane Chris throwing the ball down the field and Tommy came in and throwing the ball a bunch and they weren't really committed to the run game. And they kept losing close games. They couldn't put teams away. They didn't have the the horsepower to, so in his, you know, with how he was trying to do it. 
they right. had Michael Floyd and Tyler Eifert. So I would kind of argue that that necessarily wasn't your problem. You know, I think some of your play calling was a problem. Some of your preparation was a problem, but you know, th- that was the justification. And then 2012 happens and you go into that season. I don't think Brian Kelly went into that season. If you go back and look at what he was talking about going into that season, because if you remember, Sean, I was a fan that you're not covering the team. That mm-hmm. was my first year getting back into coaching. And you go back and kind of listen to what Brian Kelly was saying before the year. It wasn't, hey, I think we got a shot to go win a championship, right? They had lost Michael Floyd. They had lost Harrison Smith. They had lost Robert Plant. And they had lost, you know, Darius Fleming. They had lost a lot of players. They're going with Ev to start the season at quarterback. Right. And it was like, you know, hey, look, we're trying to – and you brought in Harry Heastan, right? And, and it, you were making a shift from a gap scheme, a pin and pull team, to an inside zone power team. And by power, I'm not, not talking about power O, the play concept. I'm talking about style of play. And I think that was meant to begin a transition. Well, sort of all the stars aligned schedule-wise and then just what with what Manti and Lewis Nix and Cap and Zeke Mata and all those guys were able to do on defense. And then you your offensive line under Harry made a much bigger jump than I think people anticipated because there was a lot of Notre Dame fans that were not excited about Harry Heastan being hired. And the expression was, well, Tennessee fans thought he wasn't any good. And I'm like, yeah, Tennessee fans are stupid. And he was under, like, what, Derek Dooley? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you yeah. know, I don't, I don't care who the offensive line coach. You know, you can, like, resurrect, you know, Alex Gibbs and put him with, you know, Jim McNally and every other great offensive line in the country. And that Tennessee team's still going to stink under Derek Dooley, right? But if you look at the reputation, I mean, again, you're 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 in Chicago. Harry Heastan was the line coach the last time the Bears went to a Super Bowl. So yeah, the dweeb for a head coach, though. Yeah, huh? No, I mean, wanted... <laughs> did you say a dweeb? Yes, <laughs> Lovey was a dweeb. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was here on the Matt Nagy. No, Harry. no, I'm talking about the first time Harry was. was oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. I thought yes. you were talking about this last time. No, yeah. no, no, no. I was saying when he came to Notre Dame, he was he was the old line coach the last time the Bears went to the Super Bowl. Right, right, and I right. Was like, I didn't know Luffy was a dweeb. My fault. My um, fault. Yes, Matt Nagy completely understand. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that one. But you know, he kind of brings about a toughness, and mm-hmm. then I think that fed right into the type of defense they were trying to run. And they just kind of went there. And then I think that that so you started to see sort of a shift that year. Hey, run the ball, protect the football, don't do anything, get ourselves beat. And then he went out against Alabama and Notre Dame got smashed. Now there's a there's a lot of reasons why the outcome was as decisive as it was. I don't think Alabama was 28 points better than that Notre Dame team. I think they were definitely better. But there's a lot of stuff that went into that game, Sean, as we now know, which, you know, obviously with the Manti thing and everything we've talked about before there. But basically what happened that, Sean, is like after that season, I felt like Brian Kelly kept trying to chase that Bama team. He kept trying to say, we got to we got to be that Bama team. Yeah. And then there was enough things that happened to where over the years where, you know, they'd have this really explosive offense and, and like he he it, it didn't happen overnight, though. Like the next year they threw the ball a ton, you know, the 2015 big play offense and then 2016 happened. And it's like, I think I kind of feel like that is where you saw a big shift under Brian Kelly. And then 2017 happens. And then that's where I think you really saw him turn hard into the whole, let's pretend to be Alabama model. Right. And, and it was run the ball. Don't turn it over to the degree that I'm going to scare my quarterbacks and make it not making mistakes and play great defense. And it worked. 
in regard to if your goal is to go beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And what happened was no more losses to teams like Tulsa, no more losses to teams like Northwestern and Louisville and Navy and teams that he had lost to in the past, Sean. And, and they started beating those teams and the record gets better. 10 and three, 12 and one, 11 and two, 10 and two, 11 and two. But your record against top 25 teams kind of stayed the same, right? I mean, it was slightly better, but it kind of stayed the same outside of outside of the 2017 season. I mean, you went yeah. one and two against rank. You went, see, so you went three and two, three and one against ranked teams in 2018. You went four and three against ranked teams in 2017. That's seven and two years. Brian Kelly only won 19 games against top 25 teams in 12 years. Seven of them came in those two years. Yeah. Then the next three years, they just beat up on a bunch of bad teams, but it was working in his mind because it was a he's a is a results oriented guy. Where I believe Nick Saban is does what he does because he's a process driven guy. Same with Kirby. Same with Dabo. I think those guys understand it's the process, not the end result. The process has to will event if you if you stick to the process, that will lead to to the the end result that you need, as opposed to focusing on the end result and right. then overlooking the fact that your process is flawed, which is why I predicted a potential collapse in 2016. I didn't think four and eight, but if you remember before that year, I was saying this team's either going to, you know, really answer all these questions or they're going to implode and they imploded. And, and cause you could see it coming. Right. And and so to me, that is kind of where Brian Kelly came from is like, that's the easy, that's the way to make sure that you go out and win all the games you're supposed to win. And then it allowed you the epitome of it, Sean, was the 2020 Cotton Bowl or Rose Bowl against Alabama, where you just kind of saw, look, our defense is good enough to keep their points down compared to where they were last time. Right. But offensively, it was control the clock, you know, just it, it's like they were coaching to not get blown out. Yeah. I mean, that's where I think Brian Kelly's mindset was. Yeah. And all that's going to do is get you to exactly where Brian Kelly was, where you're a good football team and you beat the teams you're supposed to beat because you have better players than all of them, but you can't win a championship that way. I think there's two ways that guarantee you can't win a championship. One is to overvalue defense and try to win with defense alone. Mm hmm. And then the other is to go out and be so not caring about defense that you get out out scored. And so that would be Oklahoma and, and Lincoln Riley's philosophy in, in that regard. You know, that that 2017 Oklahoma team was was a tremendous offense. I mean, not much beneath some of the – I mean, even the 18 Oklahoma offense. I mean, not much below some of the great offenses we've seen in recent years when you when you look at the talent. I mean, I mean, you just think about that 17 team. I mean, they hung up – hung a 48 spot on on that Georgia defense that we talk so much about. And again, right, I mean, part of that, Sean, was they went to overtime. But, you know, you had Baker Mayfield. You had Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, C.D. Lamb. That's one heck of a throw. I mean, these guys are all in the NFL right now yeah. doing things, you know. Yeah. Uh, you had Rodney Anderson, Trey Sermon. Abdul Adams was on that team. I mean, th- th- their top three backs, Sean, averaged 6.2, 6.2, and 9.9 yards per carry that year. And that was a tremendous offensive football team. But why did they get knocked out in the semifinal? Even though that was pro- that to me, that Oklahoma team was the most talented team in the country that season, but they couldn't win it because they couldn't stop anybody. Yeah. And, and because they just, they went too far in the opposite direction. They gave up 27 points a game. We've seen that with Oklahoma time and time and time again. So I think there's two extremes when it comes to this. 
And I think what Notre Dame has done is Notre Dame has built around its defense to the point where it has sacrificed offense. Mm. I think that's what they've done. And I think that's the mistake. I think what Georgia has done is they're going to build around their defense, but he also Kirby also understands the need to have big plays and, yeah. and create enough big play opportunities that we have to score. Now, I still think that they benefited a little bit last year by it being a down year in the SEC and the fact that Alabama, you know, ended up not having their two best receivers and, you know, in the championship game and all that. But, but, but why do we say that? Because at the end of the day, defense yeah. doesn't win you championships anymore. No. It, defense can get you to the dance. That's why I've said this for years and I'll stand by it. In college football, defense will get you to the dance. If you want to win 12 games in the course of a regular season or 11 games, you better play really good defense. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to be a team that once you get there, takes it over the top, you got to be able to score. And a, and, a, and a great example of that, Sean, is the 2018 Clemson-Alabama matchup. That was a great Alabama offense. Yeah. Every bit as good as the Clemson offense. Why'd they get dominated? Because Alabama had a good defense. Clemson had a great defense. Great defense. That was the yeah. difference. Yeah. That was the difference. And, you know, and, and LSU's defense was better than it than it was statistically. Their offense just scored so much that teams were on the field a lot, you know, and, and it was still a good, you know, a good defense. It wasn't a typically elite LSU defense. But I just kind of look at it, Sean, and I say that's that to me is where is where just for the record that LSU defense in 2019 finished 29th in the nation in, in yards per play, which isn't bad. Yeah, you know it, it's not terrible. And so to me, Sean, when I look at it, I just feel like that to me is the danger that I see with Coach Freeman, and it's the unknown. I should say, not the danger, mm -hmm. the unknown of yeah. Coach Freeman is he has said things that make total sense if you're going to be the head coach of Notre Dame. If you're going to be great at Notre Dame, Sean, you got to play great defense. you got to dominate in the trenches. you got to be able to run the ball and stop the run. Right. I, I believe that to be true. I believe that that's a philosophy that Kirby Smart has. I believe that's a that's why Ryan Day made the changes he made this offseason. You know, hiring Justin Fry, bringing him Jim Knowles, because he understands, look, we can't just go out and score people every single day. We got to be able to stop people too. You got to be able to stop the run and run the football. Yeah. And so I still believe in college football that is a recipe to success. And I, and here's the thing like, you know, Alabama had that big running game in the in the bowl game, but they weren't a great running team outside of that last year. That was more as we've said, I think you and I agree, that was more about what is Cincinnati doing defensively game plan wise. They're like giving that to Bama. You know, but like they weren't a team that could just go impose their will in the run game. So no. when they lost the ability to throw it in the championship game, they had nothing they could turn to. Right. There's nothing they could turn to. And, and so to me, you have to have that ability. But within that, Sean, you still have to be able to score. And so my yeah. my my big issue with Brian Kelly was why do you keep creating this false dichotomy of you can't be an explosive big play offense and also still not be really good on defense? I think that's a I, I think that's a false narrative. I don't think you I don't think you have to be because we're not saying they got to score 49 points a game. No. We're saying they got to be like 38 to 41 ish, you know, and and then be really good on defense. And, and that's that's the key. And so when you hear Coach Freeman talk about you got to be great on defense, got to run the ball, control the trenches, agree with all of that. But is that going to be done at the expense of being willing to go out there and say, we're going to score, we're going to score every single time we get the ball, 
We're going to recruit to score a ton. We're going to play to score a ton. Now, not within this air raid, quick tempo, score 90 seconds kind of thing. But, hey, Tommy, your objective when you get out there is every time you get the football, score. Right? I'm not worried about controlling the clock per se. You know, but your goals got there and score and and to create an explosive, efficient offense. Not a because like what well, we talk about. There's 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 a couple ways to be you know great on offense. One is tempo, and it's just hurry, maximum plays. You know, try to out you know get your opponent like out of their rhythm, whatever. The other way is to run fewer plays, but be, be very high efficiency. Efficiency. And and so to me, that's kind of where I look at at the where where Tommy Reese is trying to be is, you know, Tommy Reese is trying to be that kind of high efficiency type type of team. And, and you know, so high efficiency, big plays, you know, explosiveness. It's, you and I have talked about this a lot. It's explosiveness plus efficiency, right? Yeah. And, you know, when you look at that LSU team in 2019, that's kind of what their philosophy was. LSU that year ranked 58th in plays, total plays, 58th in total plays. But uh, actually, let me just make sure that I'm that I'm correct on that. Because what did they rank in no, time? Sorry, that was that was 2021. No, they ranked first in 2019. Okay, uh, it, but they played 15 games. They but like when you look at it, to me, their efficiency was what was the key. It was 7.9, and they were second in the country. Yeah. Meaning their plays were coming because they were you never got them in third down. I mean, you just right. couldn't get them in third down. Yeah. And and to me, that's the kind of thing you look at and say, that's where I think that Notre Dame is trying to get to. And that's where I think Tom Reese wants to be. It's it's a pro style, big play type of situation. And, you know, LSU that year ranked first in, tw- in 2019 in, in total plays. But they ranked – let me let me go down here and try to find them. I'm scrolling to find them. They were 48th in third down opportunities. First in total plays. 48th and third down opportunities because they just, you just never could get them there. Yeah. And so I think that there's, there's that, that the point is you've got to be able to strike that balance. You've got to be able to strike the balance of, yes, you've got to build around your defense, but your defense has to be supported by big play. Cause here's all that to say this, Sean, in the past, when you talk about those great bears teams, you talk about the great giants teams of the past, right? What right. are those, those offenses? What could they do? They could run the ball and control the clock. Right. Right. And the best friend to a great defense is a ball control offense. I think that's where the old school mentality is. And that's where it has, it has to, it has to stay in the past. And that's what I think Brian Kelly tried to be. I think that if you're going to be great on defense and build around your defense, that's fine, but you have to supplement it with a big play offense. Now it's run the ball, be efficient, but you have to be an offense and go out there and score because the best friend to a modern defense, a modern great defense, is for your offense to let you jump out ahead. Because remember that Oklahoma game in 2012, Sean? Notre Dame was was very fortunate to be able to make a couple big, you know, big plays late. Yeah. But they dominated Oklahoma's offense in that game. But it took Oklahoma two minutes, like I mean, I say hypothetically, like two minutes to tie that game back up. Right, because Notre Dame was unwilling to put them away, and so it allowed Oklahoma to just get a couple big plays because you can't keep these offenses down the way you used to. Now, what did Notre Dame answer with? The very next drive, once Oklahoma tied it, a big play. That should have been there earlier when it was thirteen yeah. three. Yeah. That's the play. They why are you, gone wait, to why are you holding that? There yeah. you go, because you had that play in your back pocket. You knew you could hit that play. 
Right. You should have hit that play the first time Oklahoma scored and put that game away. And I think that's a that's a mistake that Brian Kelly made. That and, and honestly, I think that's one of my that's probably my biggest issue with with Coach Holtz was they would get these big leads and then kind of say, okay, we're just gonna ride it out, right? Like what was it? Remember ninety three when they jumped up on Michigan like twenty four to ten at half? Yeah, it was the final like twenty seven twenty three or twenty seven twenty four. I think like they so. just let Michigan climb back in that game because they're like, okay, our defense is going to – that's a lot of pressure put on your defense. You know what I love? Go up 24-10 and then come out that first drive of the second half and put them put them away. Because well, Kelly did that in 2018. You're talking about 90 – 93. 93 they didn't play Michigan. Don't they did. Sh- yeah, first game 27, of the year. 27-23. That was the second yeah. game of the season. But it was like 24-10 at halftime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then they just kind of okay, let's yeah, let's yeah. run it out. And we saw that against Florida State '93, which yeah. allowed Florida State to get back in that game. We've seen that with Brian Kelly, 2018 Michigan. You're up yeah. 24-10, put them away, and they just kind of hey, let's control the clock, let's just get out of here with a W. And so that's the thing I hope that Marcus Freeman changes. Sean is you can have it, you can focus on having a great defense. You can you can recruit to play great on defense, and they are. But can you also have the kind of complimentary offense that says we can go out and beat teams because we got to score? Because what happened to Georgia in the SEC title game? They got into a game where they couldn't stop the other team Mm -hmm. and they didn't have enough offense to do anything about it. And that's what would have lost them the championship game if it wasn't for Jamison Williams going down. So to me, it's great that Georgia won that title last year, but Notre Dame can't assume it's going to have the kind of talent on defense that Georgia had and and catch the breaks that Georgia caught last year, if we're being honest. Yeah. And so that's where you, you say, yes, they have fallen in love with defense. And and I understand why Marcus Freeman is going to be that way. But if he's going to take this team to the next to the over the top and win a championship, Sean, he cannot fall into the same trap that so many defensive coaches have, which is we're just going to we're going to have our our complimentary offense is ball control. Yeah. Don't turn it over. Like you're so afraid of turnovers that you just beat it into your team not to take chances. That's That will be his undoing yeah. if he doesn't win. If he's willing to say, hey, look, no, I don't like turnovers. No, I don't want to play an air raid team that runs a million plays a game. Yeah. But we don't need to do that to win. But we also can't be 2012 Notre Dame to win. We can't be 2018 Notre Dame. You know, you can't be these teams that scored 32, 33, 34, 35 points a game. You want to you want to win a championship, you got to be able to go out there and overwhelm people. And that's what Georgia did in the regular season last year, Sean. It didn't work out from the regular in the postseason as much in the SEC title game. But what they did to teams in the regular season last year is their offense was a big play offense. And they would jump on teams 17-0, 24-0, like that. And next thing you know, it's like, well, shoot, now, now we've got to start taking chances. And that's when that Georgia defense will pin its ears back and say, "Okay, now we're coming for you." Yeah. And that's what I want to see Marcus Freeman do. And if he if he's not willing to do that, then I don't think he's going to take Notre Dame over the hump. If he is willing to do that with Tommy Reese and then whoever he might hire to replace Tommy Reese, should that time ever come, that's going to be the thing that I think is takes Notre Dame over the hump. You get to the postseason, buddy. You got to be able to score. Yeah. You said two really really important things that I jotted down. You talked about chasing Bama instead of chasing the vision that you have. Because you have to have a vision for the team that you feel like is eventually going to win 
a championship. No, I mean, and, and that's kind of the thing, Sean, is as we kind of look at, as we look at this, <laughs> you know, I think that's, um, I think what happens is, is you, is you chase Bama instead of saying what I, what I think he needs to do is, is this is what Stanford did. This is what Jim Harbaugh did. He looks at the PAC 12 and he's like, all these teams are like these West coast offenses and they're passing the ball and they're running spreads and you know, they're, they're scoring points. And so what did Harbaugh say? We're going to be the complete antithesis to the rest of the Pac-12. We're going to come in. We're going to have big physical lines. We're going to have big physical teams. And sort of they were like kryptonite to Oregon. You know, I mean, the years that they beat Oregon, it's because Oregon couldn't do their read zones. They were blowing them up. Why is why is Wake Forest always kind of struggle to score on Clemson? Because they can't do that super long mesh against Clemson because Wake, Clemson just blows them up, and you don't have time to do that. And that's what that's what Clem, Stanford do. They would just crash the line, crash the mesh point, make you declare early. And I think instead of chasing Bama, you say, okay, what can we be to to your point to to say this is what I believe in? But then it's also what is the what is the counter to Bama? And that's why Dabo won two titles. Dabo did not say let's try to be Bama. He said, okay, we can't beat Bama player for player. We can't line up and play power eye versus their power eye. You know what we need to do? We need to get dynamic. And he recruited dynamic players. He brought in dynamic offensive coaches. He brought in Chad Morris, which then led to Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott. Yeah. He went out and got Deshaun Watson, who wasn't just a sit back and throw it passer. And, and really, Taj really started that, right? Like Taj Boyd was his first because before it was like Charlie Whitehurst and guys like that. You know what I mean? That was playing quarterback at Clemson. Uh, but so be, like between – Woody Dancer, who you know is my favorite guy, and then right. Taj Boyd, there was a lot of like not dynamic quarterbacks. Well, Taj kind of started getting them going, and then when they added Deshaun into it, it was just another level on, on top of Taj. That's when Clem to tur- Clemson turned it around because he understood, mm-hmm. you know, look, yes, we're going to build a great defense, which they did, but we're going to also make sure we can score. And so that's right. why I feel like Clemson had so much success against Alabama and against Georgia, and against Auburn, and against all these teams, because when they got to the postseason, they had a defense that was good enough to create stops against these elite offenses. Yeah. But they also had an offense that could outscore you and put you behind, and that's what they did to Notre Dame. Like They went toe-to-toe defensively for a while, but what was the difference in that game? Clemson was able to generate three big plays, yeah. and Notre Dame could generate zero. Yeah. And that's it. That's the difference. And you know that's why Dabo, you know, Dabo said, we're going to do something different. We're not going to try to be Bama. We're going to try to be something different that that then puts Bama in in some tough situations. Some yeah, right. And and that's what LSU did. LSU tried to win with defense and ball control for a long time. And they had some eight and five teams that were really good on defense and really good at running the football. Yeah. Well, then the one year they decided, let's open it up, let's get it rolling. You know, bam, they go out and win a title. Yeah, honestly, Clemson is this. This is crazy when you just said that. Clemson is a desperate move by Nick Saban from possibly beating Alabama three times in the championship game. Like Nick, it, it worked for Nick Saban. The onside kick worked, but that was Nick Saban like flinching and saying, yo, we can't stop them. Can't. We can't stop them. So let me get an extra possession and get out in front and see if we can hold on. Relative, right? This is a great question. It might be plus three, plus four. Everything's relative. So 32 points, 32.8 points in 1989, and then 36.8 points in 1993. 
Those are the points per game for Lou Holtz offense mm-hmm. in the 90s, right? I would say relative to today, that might be what, plus four, plus five, 38 points, 37 points in 93 is probably equal to about 41 points right now. Just thinking about the way the game has evolved and the mentality. If they, if coaches had the mentality today, back then, I think Lou probably would have been able to put up 40 points, a young Lou Holtz in this time as a coach, as in, as the genius that he was, like, yo, Lou was really one of the first ones to get into the quick screen game with his wide receivers, a lot of other different things. But like you said, Lou would take his foot off the pedal a lot of times in games once he got up and go to ball control. Mm-hmm. So with all of that being said, just think about this. Lou was basically, and this goes back to the, the point we were trying to make, Lou was doing what Notre Dame did under Brian Kelly in the 80s and 90s, which is putting up 32, 35, 34 points per game for a season. So Nick Saban, in in turn, if you go look to his points per game when he first arrived and where the Alabama offense is now points per game, there's been about a 6.6, I think it's like a 6.7 points per game increase, which makes a difference. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when you get in the regular season, when your team is used to scoring at a certain rate, that's the carryover, right? right? Like you said, defense goes anywhere, right? But when you face, as you just talked about, when you face good teams, you can't hold them down for an entire game. Right. You just At some point, they're going to hit some plays and put some points on the board, and you have to be able to create points as well in that matchup. So, so Tashawn, I want to speak to your point a little bit uh, Mm -hmm. of what you're referring to here. So just to put into context. So if you go back to 1988, remember Miami was considered to have this like elite, great defense, right? Right. Like just a, or offense. I mean, that year, Miami scored 34.8 points per game. Florida state who had a great offense that year was 37.9, 37.9 last year ranks 11th in the country. It would have been, much higher that season. If you look at the SEC, not a single SEC team scored 30 points a game. Georgia (laughs) was the highest at 29.8. There was only two teams that scored over 27. Yeah. Uh, In the Big Ten, there was only two teams that scored over 30. Michigan was at 30.1. If you remember, Michigan was a top five team that year. And then in Indiana, that was that great year that Indiana had. They scored 33 points a game. The ACC, Duke had the most points that year, 29.5. I believe Steve Spurrier was their coach that year, I believe. But they led, yes, that that is correct. They went seven, three, and one that year, and they scored twenty nine point eight points per game. Uh, if you look at the big the Big Twelve, there were two teams that scored over thirty points a game. Oklahoma State was insane; they scored forty eight point seven. But then Nebraska, who was a really good team, scored thirty six point seven. And then if you look at the, um, there was only one team in the Southwest Conference that was Houston, who ran the run and shoot. They were the only team that scored over over thirty. Reason I bring up the Southwest for you young people, that was Houston, Texas Tech, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Texas, and Baylor. Mm. So the Southwest wasn't like some group of five team. That was a power conference. There was only one team that scored at least 30 points per game. And then in the Pac-12, there was three teams that scored over 30 points per game, but it was Washington State at 34.6, UCLA at 32.7, and USC, who was a great team that year, 30.8. 
So to put into context what you're saying, yes, 32 point something points per game was considered an explosive offense back then, exactly. especially one that ran the ball as much as Notre Dame ran the ball. Right. Because a lot of those teams have scored more through the ball a lot, with the exception of Oklahoma State. I mean, Houston was scoring almost 40 points a game. They were an air, they were a running shoot team. Right. Like they, that's all they did was throw. That was right. I think um, Andre Ware was I think their quarterback that year because I think then he go out and win the Heisman the next year. Well, 89. Yeah. Right. So they were, they were, a, a you know, a lot of those teams were, were the finesse throwing the ball teams, the power teams like Notre Dame were scoring in the twenties. So to, to back up your point, you know, to Sean's point is 32 point something points per game, 33, 34 was considered, you got a really good offense right. back then. And now it's like, if you're not at at least 38, right. to your point, at least 38, that's going to be the key. Yeah. You got to get to at least 38 points yeah. in today's era because that'll put Notre Dame in the top 10, 10, 11 this, this past year. And I would argue offensive scoring was down this past year. And I, and to back that up, I mean, there's what five teams that scored over 40 points per game. There was eight in 2019. There was 10, 12 in 2017, eight in 2017 or 2018, eight in 2017. There were 11 in 2016, there were 12 in 2015. So and even in 2020, there was 12 as well. But I always count that as like it's harder to because there's like – and you'll play seven, eight games. One yeah. huge game is going to pump your score. Wow. But yeah. the point is last year only having five teams in the 40s showed that like they're just there, – there weren't those kind of teams last year. And Alabama was 39.9. Bama would have been in the 40s if it wasn't for them scoring only what – what they score the title game? It was like 18. Yeah. And they would have scored more than 18 if they didn't have the injuries. Yeah. So the but Great. the point is the same, Sean. And that Auburn game right. really drug everything down. For right. Right. Yeah. But even with that game, if they're just healthy in the championship game and scored yeah. 24 points, they're over 40 for the season. Yeah. And they scored 41 against out Georgia the first time they played. Yeah. So to your point. It's you have to look at it differently. Well, Lou only scored 32 points again. Oh, okay, that, that's 1988. It's different now. Game that's, is different. that's what I'm saying. You have right. to be able to kind of extrapolate that to say, okay, that's equal to in today's currency right. of points, close to 40 points a game. 1993, they were at 37, almost 37 and 93 right. points per game. And that's that's insane. The points right. they were putting up. So for me, I think the challenge, and this probably gets into, we said we were going to kind of move recruiting to the side, but this kind of plays into the recruiting mm-hmm. conversation because if we're talking about paying attention to difference makers and getting difference makers on the offensive side, this is what we're going to have to see, you know, more so like we saw it with the guys they went after in 23. Certain situations didn't work out. But now in 24 and what they have, you start to see, okay, you got you have CJ Carr. Okay, you have Cam Williams. Okay, you're in on Ryan Wingo. Okay, now we're starting to see the vision and the plan. Like, okay, they know what they need to do. They know they need to get the quarterbacks. They know they need to go ahead and get the playmakers. They need to get the play. I think they've done a tremendous job of not so – I'll say this because I know you, we had this discussion as well. They need to finish mm-hmm. specifically at the wide receiver room. And and they missed out 
on Ronnie Hannafin. Sure. And that was something that we both said, yo, they need to seal the deal with that kid to really take the step that they need to take in that wide receiver room. The one thing they did that I think helps out is they went out and got a lot of guys that are playmakers, mm-hmm. specifically at the running back position. And there's still, you know, still a great chance that they land Jeremiah Love, who had a tremendous game last night, by mm-hmm. the way, but, you know, his first game of the season. But they got guys that they can move around and do different things with and have that efficient, explosive offense by lining guys up in different areas and different positions and getting them the ball and then going ahead and putting points on the board. So even though they didn't get the numbers from the wide receiver standpoint that we were looking for, they still might add to the room moving forward. I just think they've done a tremendous job in adding athletes that are really explosive to the class. Like if I asked you how many explosive guys do they have offensively in this class that's like positionless like how many explosive guys do they have i think you would probably sit at about what five on the current recruiting class yeah yeah i mean you've got well with where they are now or where we project that they're going to be you can do both okay like if they get this is why jeremiah love is so important and even tayshaun mm-hmm. lyons i mean he's a project yeah, he's a project with explosiveness. With explosiveness, right? But you know, Jeremiah Love would be that guy. Uh, Braylon James is that guy. Mm-hmm. Dylan Edwards is that guy. Those are the three that I would really only say like are explosive. But like Jane Lamar is a kid that's run a four-five-three electronically, which is right. moving. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's just this year's class. You know, I mean, last year you added Jadarian Price, who I think is an explosive guy. The twenty twenty one class had a bunch of explosive guys. Tyler mm-hmm. Buckner. You know, obviously, you talk about uh, Lorenzo style. So, you know, th- that they're starting to get there, Sean. And, you know, and I'm being, I'm even using the word explosiveness like real narrowly. Like Jaden Greathouse is an explosive player in a different type of way. In a different type of way. That's what right. I was just in a different type of way. Yeah. Right. Same with Jaden Lamar. Like when yeah. I'm just looking at from just a, a pure home run hitter type of way. Yeah. I don't know if I can point to the last time that Notre Dame would have landed three guys in one class that were home run hitters. Yeah two even and, yeah. you know sometimes it was you're talking about a quarterback as one of those guys like tyler <laughs> buckner in, in 2021 right so yeah i mean to your point they're getting there i mean and that's that's why it's important to have those type of players so you don't always have to scheme your way into a bunch of points i wanted to go back to something you were talking about sean you talk about notre dame in, in 1993 averaged 35.6 points per game that year that ranked eighth in the nation in scoring there's only two teams that scored over 40 points per game. It was Tennessee and Florida State. Florida State led the nation at 41.3 points per game. Notre Dame ranked eighth at 35. So for Notre Dame, if Notre Dame would have ranked eighth last year, I'm just this is I think the best way to kind of mm-hmm. to kind of contribute. The number eight ranked team last year was six point six points behind the number one team. In 1993, the number eight team was six points behind the highest ranked scoring team. Yeah. So I, I think you can kind of look at that sort of as a similar equivalent. And and so the eighth ranked team last year was 39.1 points per game. Yeah. that's So you talk about projecting, that's what that 1993 offense would be if you kind of project everybody forward. Right. But uh, there was always anomalies. Like here's, here's one. In that 1989 season with Andre Ware, Houston scored 53.5 points per game. <laughs> it's nuts. But here's why they did it. 
right? I mean, they scored 84 points against Eastern Washington. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, so you take that out. I mean, they're still pretty good, you know I mean? But they're, they're more in line with normal stuff. 37, 51, 24, 31, 36, 44, 62, 56, 24, 62. I mean, we see that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah. Right. But if, you know, if you kind of take away sort of the insanity of just that 84 point game against a one double eight team, which is just really kind of absurd. They're at 42.7, which again, puts them on par with where, where we're talking about now. Let me, let me, that was 89. You, you just said something, 36 points per game, basically 36 points per game in 93, Florida state average 41. This is the genius in my opinion of Lou Holtz. When he faced Miami and Florida state, his mindset was, we know we can hold them b- below what they do. Right. But they're not going to be able to stop our physicality. Right. right. It but, goes back to how Dabo went at Nick Saban. Like, I'm right. not about to come at your strength. We right. have some fast players, but right. we're not about to play fast break with you. No. We're going right. to line up and punch you in the mouth and make well, you play our style of football. Go ahead. Bama was still trying to be that power team. That Bama team, Yes. And so what Nick, what Dabo did, if you look at it, it was really brilliant. He said, okay, how do we slow it down? Not mm-hmm. stop it. How do we slow it down? So you look at those Clemson defensive lines back then. They were huge. Yeah. Huge. That 2018 Clemson defensive line was physically huge. Their 2016 defensive line was physically huge. But then what he did on the other side of the ball is, okay, but they're also big and, and not super athletic in the front seven on defense. Right. So what what did the, what was the Clemson offense all about? Space and speed, space and speed. So to your point, Sean, is he kind of tried to build the kryptonite to, to Bama on both sides of the ball. Right. And, and I think Nick Saban understood there was a need to evolve back with Johnny Manziel and Cam Newton. But it wasn't really until Clemson in 2015 and 16 – that he went full, here we go, which right. is why Jalen Hurts eventually got benched because he couldn't be that guy. Right. Right. I mean, people forget Jalen Hurts had them in the national championship game in 2016. But the point that I, to, to go back to lose teams, Sean, you're correct. Lube said we're, they can't handle our physicality. And, I, and that's important. And that's why Marcus Freeman has to bring that back 100%. But even then, Miami still scored 30 points. In 88 against that great Notre Dame defense. Yeah. Florida State still scored 24 points and had a chance to score at the end to make it 30 plus. But compare that to like 41. It's like, correct. Correct. Right. If Marcus Freeman in this defense he's building, you build it to say in the big games, they're not going to score what they normally score. Exactly. But but that's my point. In 2018, you held Clemson down enough to win that game. True. So, you know, but why did Bama beat Clemson in 2015? Because they outscored them. What was the final score of the – if Notre Dame would have scored against Clemson in 2018, what Bama scored against Clemson in 2016, Notre Dame wins. Yeah. They scored 31 points that game. Yeah. And that's my point is Notre Dame had great defenses back then. 88. 93 wasn't a great de- – it was a talented defense, but it wasn't necessarily a great defense. They had mm-hmm. some really weird games that year. But to your point, they were physical. But Lou also knew. And you can go back and look at the play calling against USC. I mean, what did he do like first play of the game? 
backed up at his own five-yard line. Bomb. Let it rip. Right? What did he do against Miami? They came out throwing bombs to Rocket. I mean, that's the thing. It's like and, – and Lou Samoji told me this story when they were playing the Michigan in, in, in 88. Now, that was a lower-scoring game because Michigan wasn't a very good offense. Right. But you know, he talked about how Lou came out, and and, and this is a great story that, that, that I heard from Lou Samoji, is he said Lou Holtz went to Tony Rice, and the first time he put Rocket in the game – he said, we're going to throw it as far as he can. He said, I don't care if it's incomplete or not. Just throw it as far as you can. Because he wanted to let people know, we're, you know, don't think you can come put nine in the box on us today. Because right. I got this kid over here that is going to burn you. But in those big games, think about all those games that Notre Dame won, those big games, right? Florida, Sugar Bowl against Florida, Miami 88, Miami in 90, Florida State 93. What was the lowest points they scored in one of those games? It was 29 against Miami in 2020. And and here's the other thing. Notre Dame scored, what, 31 against Miami in 88? They turned the ball over, like, what, two, three times? The same right? because, thing but he, in 90 right. when they faced them the next time right. at home. Right. They had two turnovers right. going in. Right. To score. And, yeah. and, and now, of course, the 31 came. You had a pick six from Pat Terrell. But my point is you still got the 31. That's going to happen. Yeah. And you did that while turning the ball over because why? Lou understood the need to generate big plays. Even yes. in that offense, he understood that. Yeah. I mean, what did he go to early against Florida State? The reverse to Adrian Jarrell. Right. He understood we can't just – they can't handle our physicality but we also can't just line up and play smash mouth all day. We got to do some things to get them thinking, okay, we can't just crowd the box because that's when they do. Bam. This is what we hit them with. You know, the screen game that day was brilliant in that game. Brilliant. But that was Lou's way of generating big plays. And so that's the point is the offense has to complement that, but that goes back to as we circle all the way back to the kind of the, the original, the conversation is that's, what's going to be very telling about Marcus Freeman. Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't care if you go out there and hang a 70 spot on, you know, teams that stink. Right. And I don't need to see them score 70 on Tennessee State next year to prove a point. I don't need to see that. Just handle your business, get your kids out at halftime and, you know, do whatever you got to do. Right. But the the thing is going to be, can you can you be good enough on offense? Because here's the thing. You can't just turn that switch on in the big games. No. And I think that's something that that I think at times hurt lose teams in 89, 90, 91, and 92 is they would always lose those games. You're like, how did that team lose that game? You know, and I think sometimes offensively he could turn it on in the big games, but he couldn't always turn it on in the games that weren't big. Would you say the 89 team? Now, this is some mm-hmm. people might say blasphemous. The 89 team was better than 88. No question. I mean, I don't. I don't think that's <laughs> even though they didn't win the national championship. 89 team was a better team than the 88 team. And even just, though when, when they lost to Miami, a lot of people forgot. And then when they showed up in the orange bowl and put right. that spank, that physical whooping on Colorado, right. it was right. like, okay, like, yeah, this is, if, if Miami's one, this is one a right. Well, and I still would have loved to have seen that. You know, uh, well, it's funny. You know, people have talked about this. Just a little context to what Sean's talking about. Notre Dame beat Colorado twenty-one to six. Here's the points that Colorado scored that year: 27, 45, 38, 45, 49, 52, 49, 20, 27, 41, 59. Hmm. And Notre Dame held them to six. And that one six was kind of fluky. Remember that was that Darian Hagen run where like made a bunch of dudes get, miss. Did he get in? Uh, it was close. The, on the long run, yeah, 
Yeah, but they would have probably punched it in. I mean, well, maybe. Yeah. I mean, they had a couple other goal line stands that, that did. you know, hold them in that game. But like, that's kind of my thing, Sean. Is is you you got You can be great. And Notre Dame defense in '89 and '88 were filthy, but in the big games, they still had to go score. And in eighty in in eighty eight they did it. In eighty nine they didn't. The offense only scored ten. The offense didn't step up and answer the bell. Yeah. I mean, if they'd have scored as many points in eighty nine as they scored in eighty eight, they win. They win. Right. And that's at the end of the day, that's going to be the key because you can't hold good teams down every single Saturday. You just can't. You're not going to be able to do it. And and that's where Notre Dame's got to be. So my 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 question. It's not even a concern. It's just because it's an unknown. I don't know. My question is going to be: Does Coach Freeman understand? that now look tommy reese is a young coach he wants to go hang a 60 spot on everybody that's how i was when i was 29 and 30 <laughs> and that's okay i want him thinking that yeah. and then coach freeman's there's got to be times coach freeman says okay tommy i need you to slow it down this next series because we're gassed okay cool but your goal is still to score yeah so they've got to find that balance there right in, yeah. in between the two but this is still a team that has to be able to go score because you're not going to just be like, okay, 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 and then turn it up when Clemson comes to town. You got to go into that game kind of rolling. And I think that was one of my few criticisms of the Lou Holtz tenure is he just would kind of get leads and then just kind of coast. And, you know, and then, and then there's then there's the anomalies. I mean, the BC game, I thought they ran it up a little bit. And, and I think there was a little frustration there. Some of the trash talking BC had coming into the game. I think that hurt them in 93. Yeah, because I think running it up the fake field goal and all that, you know, kind of motivated BC in '93. You got to be able to score, and I think that's kind of where you're coming from, Sean. Is it's okay to be great on defense? You need to recruit great players on defense because you got to be able to stop, make stops against those great teams. But can you score? Yeah. And and that's going to be the difference, you know, to to not even win a championship. Now I, I do think we're seeing a trend back to defense being a little bit more important with some teams. Because Georgia beat Alabama, so then you know you get the copycat. Everybody wants, to, but I, I think Notre Dame needs to be a team that can do both. You got to be good at both, and I think that's what made Clemson so good for as long as they were. And it's really what has what, it, it, but not. I think kind of Bama, the good Bama teams have been those teams that can find strike that balance. Yeah. You know, like the twenty twenty Bama defense to me was really good compared to the twenty twenty one Bama defense. You know, Patrick Sertan and those guys. I mean, I just. I think you got in the years that Alabama's lost are years where their defense hasn't been very good. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the key. You think that was the most current version of an elite, elite team, elite offense, elite defense? Like those, those like champions that had elite units on both sides of the ball. Like I think the, talked about it. Clemson had. I, think, I would. I don't know when Clemson beat Alabama with Trevor Lawrence. I don't. Still don't think that offense was elite because they were really young. Yeah, I, I think, think they. I think they were elite though. I mean, just the numbers. They were forty-four points a game. What I would say, Sean, I get your point. I think by the time they got to the postseason, they were elite. Okay. Right, because like you could look at some games during the year where it's like you know, because like remember they were transitioning from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. You know, they had, you know, freshman Justin Ross, they had freshman quarterback, sophomore running back, sophomore receiver. But if you go look at how they were kind of down the stretch, you know, like they had that struggle against Syracuse, but then they were 63 against Wake Forest. They were 41 against NC State, 59 against Florida State, 77 against Louisville. They were down to 27 against BC, but then 35 against Duke, and they called off the dogs early in that game. Yeah. 56 against South Carolina, 
42 against Pitt. 30 against Notre Dame was a lot because that was a really good Notre Dame defense. And then 44 against Bama, although seven of that came on a pick six. If you remember early in the game, A.J. Terrell picked off Tua. But I do think they were an elite offense in the last month, month and a half of the season. I agree because that Syracuse game was Trevor was out. Right. Right, and they were and struggling even before he got out, but it was his first yeah. start. He was out, and then yeah. the kid that eventually transferred. Chase Bryce. Yeah. Chase Bryce, and then yeah. transferred again to App State. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it was Trevor's first start. They were making the transition from a Kelly Bryant-led offense. They were very young on offense. Yeah. They were struggling early in that game, and then they rescued it. But, you know, like after that, it was – like I said, they just kind of went off. You know, I mean that—that that was the reality of it, and they kind of went off. So, that's and they were only thirteen points a game on defense. Yeah, I mean, and and a lot, and you know, they gave up thirty-five in a in a in a win over South Carolina. That was an anomaly. I mean, they that year they went fifteen and zero. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games where they held teams to single digits. Yeah, and then they had two other games they only gave up ten. You know what I mean? So, like nine of their fifteen games, they held teams to ten points or less. That's really good. It is. And and you know, that to me that was the that was the difference in that team. Whereas you look at Bama, Bama had four games that year they held teams to less than 10. Or, you know, and then one game they held them to 10 or less. Yeah. I mean, and they had games they were giving up 23, 31, 21, 28, 34, and 44. That's that was the difference in that game, yeah. in my opinion. Is they both had great offenses. Yeah. That receiving core Alabama had was nasty. Yeah. What was the difference? Clemson can make stops. And that's what killed Clemson against Ohio State two years ago. Their defense couldn't stop people. Yeah. I mean, that's what Notre Dame exposed them. Notre Dame beat themselves in that title game. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Notre Dame beat themselves in that game. Yeah. You know, Trevor had a great, you know, once he got rolling, the offense looked good and all that. But they're def- they, they beat themselves in that game. They had chances to go up double digits in that double game and that just game. peed them away. Yeah. You know, but, but, that team couldn't stop people that year, Clemson. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't stop Phil. I yeah. mean, w- when they played against BC, You're right. it, you know, they, they couldn't stop, they couldn't stop, uh, you know, Notre Dame. And I mean, in Notre, I mean, that's another game where I felt like Notre Dame kind of stopped themselves in, in, in the regular season. Like they jumped all over Clemson and then Brian Kelly does what he always does. Hey, we're up. Let's, let's not, let's not take any more chances. And yeah. then let Clemson come right back in the game. And if it wasn't for Jeremiah Wusu Kormo literally generating 10 points by himself, then you know, I mean, he re- he literally did. He he returns a fumble for a touchdown. He takes it away from Travis Etienne, and then the next drive, he gets beat on third down. Comes up behind Amari Rogers, strips the ball out. The offense lost yards on that ensuing drive and still got three points. So that's why I say that that Jeremiah generated big t- points by himself. But that Clemson team that year, Sean gave up over twenty points a game. You know, they gave up uh, twenty one to Syracuse, twenty three to Virginia, twenty eight to BC. Yeah. They gave up 47 to Notre Dame in overtime. It was 30, 33 in regulation, Yeah. right? And and gave up 49 Ohio State. They couldn't stop people. Yeah, that's why and they that struggled the against LSU. That's right. why I was just like, right. it's a bad match. Styles make, make fights, right? Yep. And I think Lou, and this is going to – I'm I'm about to set you up, bro. I'm about to set you up, right? Lou came in, had a vision – and knew I'm creating this team that I know is going to give us the best chance to beat those guys. Mm-hmm. They're at the top of the mountain, right? So they're, we're talking about 
Florida State, Miami, Nebraska at that time, uh, Michigan. He knew that he had the athletes if he had to line up with right. Michigan and Nebraska that were just going to try and pound you. Right. He had the athletes to beat them. He knew that. And, and Sean, isn't that why they always beat Michigan? Yes. Why they beat Michigan in 88? Low scoring game. Ricky Waters, punt return athlete. Yes. Why they beat him in 89? Rocket two, Rocket two, two, two kicks, two kicks athletes. back to the house. Athletes. Athletes. 100%. And the one year that Michigan beat them that time, why? At Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard. Yeah. And then, you know, they were playing George Perlis. Right. Tough, tough Michigan State teams tried to come in and be physical with Notre Dame. It's like, you don't, you don't have the athletes. So now it's more than chasing Bama. It's, it's Clemson. It's mm-hmm. Georgia. It's Alabama. Brian Driscoll, I put it in your hands. What is the vision of Marcus Freeman in saying this is the team and this is how we beat those guys? Like if you if you have the opportunity to sit and think or just sit across and just bounce things off yeah. with, with MF, like what is – like? I'm glad he gets a chance to talk to Lou personally about this sure. too. Yeah. Because I'm sure Lou could probably give him a lot, a lot of great stories about what he was thinking at that time. Yeah. But it's like, how, what's the vision of this team next year? Cause I think we're going to see a, this year, I think we're going to see a CFP caliber team on the field. Things have to go their way. Health, other things, the development of Tyler Buckner, I mean, if you, from a confidence standpoint, mm-hmm. right, insert Tyler Buckner into that 2018 Cotton Bowl at quarterback. From a, from his mentality as a quarterback. If he is what we think he's going to if, be, right. If he, right. He, he gets those same opportunities that Ian Book had. Right. At least he's taking them. Right. You know, so for me – that's what makes me excited about the future. I don't know exactly what the full vision is and what it's going to be, both sides of the ball, but there has to be something to say. Or bet what is the kryptonite? This is a better way to ask you. Mm-hmm. Give me the kryptonite for the three teams that are in front of Notre Dame, the three programs. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let, let me add one thing, too, is to your list of teams. Remember, when Lou came to Notre Dame, they were also still chasing Oklahoma. 
True. Under Barry Switzer. Under and that Barry was another Switzer. team that could score. Yeah. They scored 41 points a game in 1987. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, obviously they were they were the team that Miami had to overcome that year. And they scored 42 points a game before that. Remember that Jamil Holloway option offense back then? Well, I so think, just, honestly, yeah. I think the two matchups they had against Miami, I think Miami kind of crushed their soul. Yes. And they, they were never the same after that. And that's when Colorado kind of ascended. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Barry walked away in what 88, 89, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I, I think Miami took their soul because they yeah. were the, they were the bullies. Yeah. They were the bullies for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And that's what made Miami special back then too, is Miami had the speed, but Miami, especially under Jimmy, I mean, like, you know, they were brawlers too. And I mean yeah. that in a football standpoint, I don't mean that in a, like, you know, like taking a shot at them. The rip. I mean, they, they, they could fight, they could fight you in the trenches just as much as they could outrun you on the perimeter. Yeah. And that's the reason Notre Dame was their kryptonite to your point, because Notre Dame could outfight them in the trenches and run with them on the perimeter. I mean, that's just, I mean, you know, as I, as I said, Sean, remember that tweet I had the other day, like name me a more dynamic trio that Notre Dame has had than Tony Rice, Rocket and Ricky Waters. And they were on the same offense for two years. Yeah. So you know that you look at you look at Alabama. To me, it's teams that can beat them in the trenches. I mean, I, I think that's that's the key that can throw off the timing of their pass game. I think that's the key. Do you have corners that can come up and be physical and run with those receivers, throw off the timing? That only works, however, if you can beat them up in the trenches. And when and that, when Alabama, when Auburn gave them a game last year, it's because Auburn beat their behinds in the trenches for sixty minutes. Man. For 60 minutes, you know, and, you know, to me, that's kind of what happened to them in the championship game. Like, I think Alabama would have out-athleted George in the championship game. But the reason it would have been a more competitive game than it was in the championship game is because Georgia was really being – was winning the battle in the trenches. But I think you need to throw off the timing of the pass game and beat them in the trenches. And then on the other side of the ball, you got to be able to generate big plays. you got to be able to run the football and generate big plays. Yeah. I think that's the key. And I think that's what Georgia, you know, did a little bit in the title game, but I think that's when Alabama's had problems. It's, can you throw it over their head? I mean, I, I don't think their safeties are great cover guys. I don't. I, and, I, and that's what Florida did to them two years ago. I mean, what was yeah. the one game that, that, that Bama played in 2020 that was a competitive game? It was it was the Florida game. Because yeah. why, why did Florida have a shot? Because Florida came out gunning. Like Florida's offense did not play scared of Alabama. The problem was Florida's defense was garbage that year and they just couldn't stop Bama, but they came out and they, I mean, they were, they were going right after Josh Job. I mean, they were going, they beat Patrick Sertan on a big play in that game for a touchdown. Um, it was a touchdown. It might have just been a big play. I don't remember if it was a touchdown or not, but they threw it over. They beat him in a one-on-one. Right. And so to me, that's the thing is, is, is what did Clemson do? They, they threw the ball down the field. That's what they did on him. And they were able to beat him in the trenches. Cause that, you know, so I think that was the, the 18 Clemson offensive line was without question their best offensive line. Yeah. Now they haven't had very good offensive lines, but that was the, I mean, it wasn't an elite offensive line, Sean, but it was a good one. And, and so I think that's their kryptonite. Ohio state, same thing. You got to be able to beat them in the tra- I mean, so it's a similar philosophy and this is where I'm, I'm I, I do think coach Freeman understands this. Like the teams ahead of them, it's, you got to be able to beat them in the trenches. Then there's Georgia. They're the exception. With Georgia, you got to not let them dominate you in the trenches. Then you got to beat them on the perimeter, because that's where I think Georgia is vulnerable. Georgia can be beat on the perimeter, and Notre Dame has shown that they that, that to be true when they've played them. They just didn't have the quarterbacks that could make those plays, right? Because look, when Ian in the first half was going after them to check to Cole, they couldn't cover Cole Komet. 
And I was at that game. They gave they gave him so many one on ones on the outside, and he never he would just wouldn't take him to Chase. And they did it one time late in the game when they needed to come back, and Chase goes out and outplays a guy, right? And, and that's what you got to do. That's what Bama did to them in the championship game last year. What did, how did Bama beat Georgia last year? They kept throwing the ball over their head, you know. And that's the thing is with Georgia's kind of the opposite of those two teams. Where, but but my point, what I would say, however, Sean is, if you can build to be able to battle with Georgia in the trenches, you're going to beat Ohio State and Alabama in the trenches, in my opinion. Okay. But then you also have to be able to go out. I mean, it's it's a very similar blueprint to what Lou did in 88, in 89 hmm. and 90. To, I think it's where you're trying to get with this. Yeah. System is different. The total's got to be different. But the philosophy is similar. You, you're Notre Dame. If you, You're never going to recruit enough athleticism at Notre Dame to be able to just go out athlete people the way Florida State did back in the day, right. the way that Alabama does now, the way that Ohio State does to a degree. You're just not going to do that, in my opinion. But where you can be elite is in the trenches. And then you can re- recruit enough Braylon Jameses and Jaden Greathouses and Chris Tyrese and Janarian prices and elite tight ends and all those kind of kids to say, you know, and then quarterback, that's a position yeah. where Notre Dame should be able to recruit better. And eventually I think that they will, but I think you have to be able to say, we're going to beat you in the trenches without buying into the false notion that in order to be great in the trenches, you have to be conservative. You know, like yeah. if Tommy Reese comes out with this offense this year and says, we're going to run the ball on everybody. Okay, great. That doesn't mean you got to be a 32 point per game team. No. You still score 40 a game. Still throw for your 275 a game. But instead of doing it on 38 attempts, do it on 27 attempts. And that's the difference. Yeah. And and so, you know, that that that's where I think they need to be is you got to be able to 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 with Ohio State. You're not going to you're not going to beat Ohio State in a bunch of shootouts. No. It's not going to be the deal. But can you can you be fit? Can you beat them up up front? Can you get them off rhythm? Can you be a team that can force them into some situations? That, Ohio State doesn't like playing behind the chains. You know who else doesn't like playing behind the chains? Every other offense in the country. You know what I mean? And Ohio State especially is is that team. I mean, Ohio State last year. You know, again, I'll, I'll point to this because I think this is a, a great stat that we don't talk about enough. Ohio State last year on offense, Shaw, we would agree is one of the three or four best offenses in college football last year, right? Led the nation in scoring. All right, 45.7 points per game. They were led the nation in total in total yards per game, led the nation in yards per play. And in total plays, they ranked see 900, they were 35th in total plays. Last year, Ohio State's offense, Sean, this is a crazy stat. They ranked 120th in third down plays. Now, I'm not talking about third down, they were good on third down. Yeah, but they part of the reason they were good on third down is if you go look at their margin, like you know they were second in the country in third down percentage. I'm not saying they weren't good on third down. I'm talking just third down snaps. Hmm. They ran 970 17 plays last year. Only 154 of their plays were third downs. Wow, because that's a super high level of efficiency. And to me, that's where that's where you're you, you've got it. So so how do you stop them? Make them not efficient. How do you do that? Beat their ass. And I mean that literally. (laughs) Literally. Beat them up in the trenches. Beat their receivers up off the line of scrimmage. When they catch balls over the middle, drill them. Not cheap shots. It's football, right? Knock them on their butts. Hit the quarterback 
five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in a game. That's the only way you can stop them. And then on the other side of the ball, same thing, beat them down, right? Beat them down in the trenches. That's what Oregon did last year on offense. That's what Michigan did last year. Yeah. And the reason Michigan's offense was able or defense was able to have the level of success they did is that what did they do? They beat him in the trenches, but Michigan also had a pretty good game plan where they forced Ohio State to kind of hold on to the ball a little bit longer. Now, their DBs weren't good enough to run with Ohio State, but they were at least physical enough to where they could force CJ Stroud to hold the ball longer, which allowed the pass rush to get there. You're going to hear me talk about that next week when we start previewing the Notre Dame Ohio State game. Mm-hmm. Is you don't have to cover them for five seconds. No, Clarence, you don't have to run with these guys vertically, but just beat their butts at the line of scrimmage and give Isaiah time to get to the quarterback. Give Maris time to get to the quarterback. Give Jason time to get to the quarterback. Give Riley time to get to the quarterback. That's going to be the key. No, tackle the running backs behind the line. I mean, that's the thing is if Alabama's going on second and 10 and third and eights all the time, guess what? They're not going to score 50 points on you. Yeah. Same with Ohio State. And, you know, with Georgia, it's kind of the opposite, but it's, it's, to, to build to beat those teams, you then will beat Georgia. Because I don't think Georgia is the program people should be chasing. I don't. I think last year was a bit of an anomaly, and they're just kind of winning with talent, and they're really well coached. Like, they are a fundamentally sound football team. Kirby doesn't get enough credit for this. They're a much more sound football team than Alabama is right now. Like, just, you know, just not making dumb mistakes, not turning the ball over, just not, not giving up big plays because – you're out of position. To beat Georgia, you have to actually beat Georgia. Bama will cost themselves games. Bama, yeah. I don't think AM beat Bama as much as Bama gave them that game. Just no discipline, giving up big plays, not being where you need to be, yeah. turning the ball over. That doesn't happen to Georgia. If you beat Georgia, you got to beat them. And and but that's not the program you're chasing, in my opinion. The program you're chasing is Bama, Ohio State, teams like that. Those teams that can go out there and score, but then also try and play decent defense. Ohio State hasn't been that, but they're trying to get there. That's why they hired Jim Knowles. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at, Sean, is to, to, you know, so what's the blueprint? Do what you're saying you want to do, right? Build the, I mean, he talks a lot about the trenches, the trenches. They're recruiting that, right? And obviously mm-hmm. they knew losing Keon Keeley hurt, but the fact that they went after him shows they're trying to be that type of team. Right, the guys you get next year, Brandon Davis, Swain, top fifty national football player. They're going after dudes in the D line. No team in the country has recruited linebacker better than Notre Dame has the last two years in twenty two and twenty three classes. Nobody. That's just not my opinion. Nobody has signed as many top hundred linebackers the last two years either. And so front seven, you're there. You know they're recruiting corners that are physical and can run. And what's the one thing about the twenty three and twenty two corners? They're long, they're physical, and they can run. All of them can run. I mean, Jaden Mickey's probably the slowest guy of the four. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. And if he's not, it's Christian Gray, who supposedly ran a 4-4-2 at Ohio State's camp last summer. Right. You know, so to me, that's kind of where I'm at, Sean, is is they're recruiting that type of guy on defense. But the the big question that I have is will he do that at the expense of offense yeah that would be his achilles heel and kryptonite that's the unknown is he going to fall into the trap that a lot of defensive coaches fall into right because it's it's a pull i mean offensive coaches think we can just go out score people because they'll say this what's a what's a more what's a how do you win football games score more points than the other team okay but you're not winning championships 
right? I mean, Ohio State hasn't won championships playing football this way. Right. It's like right? the, uh, the, gift and, the gift and curse, right? Lincoln Riley being an offensive guy. Yeah. He says, we need to go out and get a lot of defensive backs. And right. let's, let's ignore the trenches. Right. We just need the defensive backs to stop right. the pass. And then when teams come in and bully them, right. they jump out and he gets bullied by Georgia. They right. just run the ball down their throat with a freshman quarterback and put up 40 points. Right. It's like, how did that happen? Well, and, and it, it, you kind of look at it, Sean, and, and you look at Oklahoma. I mean, you look at like what they were under Stoops the year they won the title, right? Like they were a really good offense that year. They ranked ninth in scoring that year with 30-some points a game. If you remember, they had Josh Heupel. They had uh, that little Quentin Griffith. Remember that little running back they running had? Back? Yeah. I mean, they could score, but that that Oklahoma team in 2008 also ranked fifth in the country in a, a points per game. Yeah. Right? Well, then you fast forward to 2008. And they lead the nation in scoring, 51.1 points per game. But what happened? They didn't win a championship that year. Why? Because they played a team that was good enough to slow their offense down, and their defense wasn't good enough to win them a game. Right. Because they they, they gave up 24 and a half. They ranked 58 that year in scoring defense. Yeah. An offense that's two touchdowns worse than another offense wins a championship. Why? Because your defense was – good enough to where when you got to that big game, because oh, as good as – and here's the thing about that 2000 title team. That Oklahoma team scored 37 points a game. That was significantly – like that was pumped up by the fact that they beat up teams in the regular season. What was the score of their championship game? 13-2. to two. So what was – how many points did Florida State – Florida State had to be a top 10 offense yeah. that year, though. Oh, yeah. Florida State was really good that year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the Heisman Trophy winner. Now, of course, right. you know, Mark Richt was leaving to go to Georgia and all that. Yeah. That team ranked score, ranked fifth in scoring at 39.3 points per game. If you take the title game out, they're over 40. Yeah. And what did they do in the title game? Held them to two. Two. Home to two. I don't care if your offensive coordinator's already left. Like, there's a difference between 40 plus and two. You, you know just, got, you just got beat up. That was probably the least physical yeah. Florida State offense. They couldn't yeah. run the ball. They couldn't run the ball. Yeah, they, they they could throw the heck out of it. Yeah, and their leading runner is just Travis Minor. Yeah, you know he he didn't rush for a thousand yards. Their next their next highest runner that year was Jeff Cheney at three hundred and forty six yards. Yeah, they didn't try to run the ball. No. They were they th- now they threw the mess out of it four thousand yards. But they got they got to the championship game, mm-hmm. and even though Oklahoma was kind of an air raid an early air raid team, they were still really physical in the front seven on defense. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's going to be games like that, but you're just not going to see 13 to two championship games anymore. Sean, I just don't think we're going to see that anymore. Yeah. And so you still have to be able to score. And, and but the, the point is, is like these teams that like think, oh, we're just going to outscore everybody. OK, that's fine. That'll get you to the, you know, I mean, that, it's just like that'll get you to the dance, but you got to still be good on the other side of the ball. Yeah. I think that's the thing for me that if, if, if like you said, if I was sitting down with Coach Freeman, I'd listen to him talk and I would. Here's plans about, you know, we're going to be great in the trenches. And that's why I brought back Harry Heastan. And, you know, you know, Tommy likes to run the ball. And that's why, you know, I like him and all that. And we're going to recruit great players on defense. And that's perfect. And I'm going to say, okay, so all sounds great. What's your overall philosophy on offense? And he, he gave me an answer to that. I mean, you know, I interviewed him and, and I've read the answer and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but but my thing is going to be like, okay, the thing is you, you just can't give lip service to that, right? Like you can't give lip service to uh, – you know, kind of what we're talking about. I'm actually going to read again his answer to that question, Sean, because I actually did get a chance to sit down and, 
you know, talk one-on-one with Coach Freeman, and, and I asked him about – I asked him that very question. So let me just pull this up here. Okay. And and because, I, you know, I, again, I, I think this is kind of fitting to what we're going to discuss here. So, you know, I was asking him a lot about his defense and all those kind of things, and and then we kind of got down to the the part about, uh, you know, just, just about offense. And so, you know, my, my thing was, look, I know what you believe in defensively, right? What, what are you going to be offensively? And he says – you know, this is, this is his response, word for word. He says, I, I tell Tommy all the time, I want to be able to run the ball at will, at will. Why? Because to me, that opens up the pass game. If you can be a team that says, I'm going to establish a run, I'm going to be able to run the ball no matter short yardage, no matter first down, we're going to have to be able to show that we can run the ball. That truly opens up the pass game. I'm not saying just be a team that how many rushing yards can we get or are we going to get? No, that's not what I'm saying. It's a mentality of running the ball to be able to open up the pass game is so important. It can Mm -hmm. create so many different challenges to a defense. So that's important to me. I want to be able to utilize different tempos. I want to be able to make sure they have to defense. They have to defend 53 and a third. That's the width of the field. Uh, Utilize different formations and widths of the football field to make them defend 53 and a third. So that's the mindset I have on offense. We're going to be creative, but also aggressive. So like literally he couldn't have answered that question better for me. But it's going to be like, okay, great. You know, if if I was in a setting where he wasn't answering a question for an interview and it was just me and him chatting, talking ball, I'd just say, yeah. okay, now freaking go do that. Right. Make right, sure right. you do that. You don't just give lip service to it because he didn't say in there, we got to run the ball and make sure that we're giving our defense good field position. And when the field, there's nothing in there about protecting the defense, ball control, control the clock, field position, none of that. It's, we're going to run the ball because of – and he's looking at it from a defensive coordinator standpoint, and here's what it basically means. The better you are running the football, the tighter I have to get with my alignments. And then the pass game is then going to then go the exact opposite. As you try to restrict, we're going to then go back outside offensively. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's talking about. Like, who talks about defending 53 and a third when you're talking about running the football? It's like, well, I don't understand what you are. Like, are you just going to run, like, jet sweeps all day? No, he's talking about – Run game downhill, pass game perimeter, pass game vertical. And that's his point is in order for me as a defensive coach to defend you, a dominant team, and that's what he said, we need to be able to run the ball at will no matter the situation. Yeah. Meaning there aren't situations you can go five in the box because they will run it at you. Right. You know what I mean? Third and six, go five in the box. Okay, they're just going to run inside and you're just going to get a first down. They're going to blow you off the ball and quarterback's going to draw or something like that and they're going to get a first down. He's saying you because d- d- if you can establish a dominant ground attack, that forces defense to restrict their personnel. I got to get my rover a little tighter. I got to do coverages to get my safety creeping down a little bit more. I got to be able to double insert at times with your safeties, which means we got to protect the post with our corners. Well, if you're going to protect the post with the corners, that means your corners need to be off the ball, which now leads them vulnerable to our RPOs and different things like that on the perimeter. Right. So it's really about having counters to that. If we're great running the football, then that sets up the pass game. And I loved hearing that, you know, because because he talked about being explosive and being aggressive and all things are important. But it all comes around to being good in the run game. How are you good in the run game? You're not scheming your way to 250 yards a game in the run game, at least not against good teams. You got to have great line play. Yeah. But then you also have to. But see, the thing about that system, however, is you need to be you need to be coached up correctly, but you need playmakers, Sean. That's the thing. To run that type of offense, you're not going to nickel and dime teams in the pass game. You're not going to run the ball all day and then nickel and dime teams in the pass game. That'll get you beat. 
it's got to be run the ball and then throw it over your flipping head. Because then you're like, what do we do now? And I've said this before. Go look at how USC tried to defend Notre Dame in the first three drives of the game in 2017. It was <laughs> downhill, downhill, downhill. Yeah. And how did Notre Dame get up 14-0? Reverse outside to, to Kevin Stefferson. Kevin Stefferson, yeah. Right? So that's defending the third, right, 53-third. Yeah. And then two downfield shots, the post to EQ and the, the one-on-one back shoulder to Stefferson on a 20-something yard touchdown. At that point in time, USC is like, what the heck are we supposed to do now? Nothing. They're freaking running it down our throat. Now they're running reverses for 20 yards. Wimbush is throwing it over our head. So then what USC did, they started backing off. And then Brandon takes off and scrambles on a third and 10 and picks up a third and 10 because they're backed off. They had no answers. Why? Because Notre Dame established a run game and the ability to throw it over their head. And that's what they did. And that's where I think you talk about him being efficient. Now, you, you have to be – if you're going to do that, you have to be a team that's higher percentage completion rate because you can't get yourself in a lot of second and tens. Like Ohio State is can survive better in second and ten than Notre Dame can if Notre Dame is what they've right. been in the past, right? Right. You've got to – but if you're a big play offense, you're going to be better able to get yourself out of those problems because what Notre Dame was able to do in the past, 17, 15 – the reason the 15 offense was, to me, more dangerous than the 17 offense is because if you could slow down the run game in 17, now much easier said than done, you could that offense had no chance. Georgia slowed it down. They scored 19 points, right? LSU slow, slowed it down. They scored 21 points and needed two fourth-quarter touchdowns to get there. Miami slowed them down, held them to eight. They had no answers. If you shut down the run game like Clemson did in 2015 – then you expose yourselves to big plays by Chris Brown and Will Fuller, which is what got Notre Dame back in that game. And they would have had more if it wasn't a pouring down rain. Yeah. And that, and that's the same thing that kept that. That's why that team in 2015 was so dynamic is you could shut down the run game and that's fine. Just throw it over your head. You know, I mean, it was like the touchdown pass USC thought that they could just put a Dory Jackson on Will Fuller and then use the safeties to stop the run. Well, but why did that work, Sean? Cause you had a dynamic explosive playmaker on the perimeter. That doesn't work, and I love T.J. Jones, but that doesn't work in that scenario if it's T.J. Jones, if it's right. Chase Claypool. I mean, Chase may catch it, but it's going to be a 40-yard gain, and you're getting tackled, and you still got you know 50 yards to go. It worked then because you had a dude that could take take in one play, could turn a, a minus 25 into six points, minus 25 meaning where the ball was. And that's what that team could do, Sean. And, and But they weren't, they weren't as efficient, right, in other scenarios, and their defense stunk. But that's why you and I have always said if that 15 team had a, one of the current defenses, had one of the last few years of defenses, that's a team that can win a title. Why? Because they could run and they could throw it over your head. Right? Yeah. Best O-line in the country, could run the ball, the quarterback could run, your running backs could run. But then if you tried to stop the run, they threw it over your head because they had a dynamic play. They had three dynamic players in the perimeter. Oh, and if you want to, you know, double cover our post route, we'll just run a wheel route with our running back for a 50-yard touchdown against Clemson like they did. And to me, that's that's where he's got to be. So if he follows through on what he told me this summer, then I think this is going to have a chance to be a really, really good football team. So, and that's that's going to be the key moving forward, in my opinion, Sean. Yeah. And back I'll to your original this. point, that's, to me, a coach that's not overemphasizing defense. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the key for Mark Schneider, the head coach. You got to stop being a defensive coordinator and be a head coach that understands 
got to be great on defense, but you also got to be great on offense. Yeah. If you're going to beat those teams. Yeah. And that's going to be the key. And with that being said, expect Ohio State to be able to score anywhere between 31 to 35 points. Mm-hmm. This is a team that averaged 45 points a game last year. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame has to put up 35 yep. to 40. Yeah. Just have to. Yeah. Like they scored great. their two losses last year, Sean, 27 and 28. 27 28. Right. You know, so if Notre Dame holds them, I think Notre Dame's defense is better than Oregon's defense from last year. That didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau or Justin Flo. Exactly. Yeah. And you could argue total defense. They're probably equal or better than Michigan's defense. Might not have two dominant pass rushers. True. But just across the board at the linebacker position, yeah, you can say that. I mean, Dax Hill was on the back end. You have Brandon Joseph. Look, you come out that first game, that offense has to put up. Just Look, we need to put up 38 to 40. Right. (laughs) And walk out with a win because we know – that our defense is going to be able to hold them under yeah. what they normally produce. You have to go back to 2017 and their and their week two loss to Oklahoma to when Ohio State was held to lower than 20 points in a loss. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but the problem is with Notre Dame, Notre Dame hasn't been getting to 20 points in those games, 19 against Georgia in 2017. Right. right, we have 14 against Bama in 2012. Right, right. You 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 score. You talk about in 17 in your losses. You scored 19 and eight in those against those two top 10 teams. You look at 2019. You scored or uh, 2018 scored three against Clemson. 2019 you scored 16 against Michigan, or was it 17 against Michigan? Or, I mean uh, Georgia, and then 14 against Michigan. And then in 2020, you scored 14 against uh, – you scored 10 against Clemson and 14 against Alabama. And then last year, you scored 13 against Cincinnati. I mean, you're not even getting a 20 in those games. So it's that – it's that that's the that's the dichotomy. That's the difference, okay? Right. I agree with you. I think Notre Dame's defense can hold Ohio State in the 20s. But I can promise you this. If Notre Dame doesn't score, it will be ugly. Because you can't keep that team down all game if your offense isn't answering with scores of your own. Because in all those games where they scored 20-some points, the opponent scored a bunch. Like, all those games where, where Ohio State was held to 20 or fewer points, the, the problem was the reason they got blasted in those games is because those other teams were scoring, and Ohio State had to press to score more, and that's yeah. where defenses could make stops. Give up 35 to Oregon, 42 to Michigan, 52 to Bama in 19, or 8 or 2020. They gave up 29 to Clemson in 2019. In 2018, they gave up 49 to Purdue. And in 2017, they gave up 55 to Iowa and 31 to Oklahoma. And and then they got shut out by Clemson the year before, 31 to nothing. So you've got to score and put them, get them out of their game, Sean. If your defense is making stops early, and and we won't talk too much about this, but this it it kind of fits to the point. Like, because Ohio State's a great example. That's a team you're chasing. If your defense makes stops on five of your first six drives and you hold them, they only get one touchdown, but your offense only scores 10 points, you're going to lose. Yeah. You're going to lose because they will eventually score another touchdown on you. That's right. The, that's the 20 championship game. Yes. That's the 20 championship yes. game. 
they will eventually score on you. Yeah. You have to, if your defense is able to stop them on three or your four, four first drives, let's see, you hold them to a field goal, you get a punt, a turnover. It better be 20 to three before you let them go. Right. And, and that's what happened to Bama in 2014. Bama was up, what, 20 to three at one point over Ohio State? Yeah. But then they had that turnover. They had that one turnover where they had a chance to put Ohio State away. They had one turnover. And what happened? That was all. That was all that Ezekiel Elliott and Devin Smith needed. It's like, okay, you had your chance to put us away, and you failed. It's a wrap. Yeah. And then they came back and won. And that's what Purdue never did. Every time Ohio State tried to claw back in that game, Purdue just answered right back, and Ohio State eventually got it a small where they had to only pass, and Purdue was able to make create problems for them. Yeah. Right? And that's what you got to do. You got to get them. You got a chance to put them away. But that's going to be true in all these games, Sean. You either got to – and then because the flip side is also true. What if your defense isn't stopping them early and you're having trouble adjusting? You got to keep up until the defense can figure it out. Right. And so either varies, way, yeah. your offense has to go. They have to show up. And that's the that's the, the, the concern is will Coach Freeman understand the need for that? You know, don't try to don't try to shorten the game. Just try to make sure that your offense is the most efficient, explosive offense in the country. That's what Ohio State does. That's what Bama does. And that's what their name needs to be. You know, and now I think their defense is going to be better than both of those teams. Can be. Right. And that's going to be the thing. You're you're going to be better on defense than them, I believe. But you have to close the gap on offense. That's that's really where Notre Dame has got to really take that big step. Yeah. Because yeah. your offense being better helps your defense. And, you know, imagine how what Notre Dame would look like on, on defense in the last few years if their offense could put teams away early and the defense could pin their ears back. Right. You know, I mean, it'd be a lot of fun to watch. Bring to your strength, man. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.